All right, everybody, welcome back to the Are We Where Yet podcast. I'm your host, Johnny. We got Justin here. No? Yeah, yeah, shaking I mean, his I'm here. Where you're here. I, I didn't know I was going to get announced. That that quick, huh? Sorry. Just drug you right in. <clears throat> he, he's working. Uh, Rigo uh, had some stuff come up, so he wasn't able to make it. So I got second best. It's no, you're pleasure. no, you're good. No, you're not bro, second best. It's a privilege to be your runner-up. Thank you, man. First runner-up. Yeah, first runner-up. It, it's who you count on. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, um, this is a second episode back, and uh, I got to look at the camera, and we got Luis over here. He's off camera, he, he, so, but he's going to remind me we got a camera right here on us, and we got a guest that Yay. drove all the way from <laughs> San Diego. It was such a long drive. Was it? <laughs> no, it wasn't at all. Oh, okay. Nice. But, but traffic was okay? Yeah, it was fine. Cool, cool. And um, you might recognize her voice from the bonus episode from last season, but it wasn't a proper episode. We did it at a hotel room, kind of makeshift, but it was still a great episode. Yeah. One of the most popular ones on our podcast. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So um, that was, uh, it was a great opportunity and we had to take it. it we, we met just like I was doing a delivery at a hotel yep. and um, I don't, fortune cookies and things and magic happened. And sure enough, um, you are a hypnotherapist. Yes, a clinical hypnotherapist. Clinical. So I use it for therapeutic purposes. So the clinical, that means it's like you're safe? I don't know if that's what it means. Well, <laughs> well you said clinical. I said I said hypnotherapist. You're like, clinical. Like, so it's not a stage hypnotist, oh, which gotcha. is what most people think when they think hypnotize or hypnotherapy. They think that you're a performer, that you get people to cluck like chickens. Chickens, you know, that's what I was going to say. Immediately the fall asleep at the snap. And, and that's not exactly what I do. I would love it if somebody could snap and I'd wake up. Oh, really? Right? That'd be cool. Instead of having Let's to do an it. energy drink, just like a snap and like, oh, oh you mean like, like if you had a cup of coffee? Yeah. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, that would that would oh. be interesting. You would but, be like Starbucks, but like just of the the, but you're not that. No, I'm not that. So I just, use hypnosis to deal with the subconscious mind and how it influences behavior, and I use that for therapeutic purposes. So to help people really uncover the roots of trauma, primarily, or anything that might be getting in the way. Basically, it's your old programming, your subconscious script that's constantly running and drives ninety to ninety five percent of all your behavior. And people don't even know it's it's there, it's right? In the background, yeah. So explain that a little bit before we get too too far into the episode. What do you mean it's in the background? So if you think about a computer that's running and you're running an active program, that's conscious, conscious mind behavior. So you're intentionally trying to do it. It's something that you're very aware that's happening. The subconscious mind is like the the programming behind the software that's running in the background at all times. And it's it shows, it's how everything shows up. So how it's written, how the code is written is how a thing behaves. So as you apply that to human behavior, the codes that are written so early on in our development, they're what dictate and determine how we run our program. And so those things happen when we're mostly unaware, when we're like seven years of age or younger, and they're what drive our beliefs throughout our lifetime until or unless we look at those and we decide if we want to keep them, if they're healthy or not. And then we have the opportunity to either maintain that programming or to rewrite it. And that's what hypnosis helps do. So the, 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 uh, you know, the thing that comes up in my mind, I just got to say, it seems unfair. It is unfair. The, it doesn't, it, it's like, but it life? happens <laughs> when you're a kid, the programming happens. So whether, you know, if your dad's a jerk or something, and then it, 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 now you hate men because the way your dad treated you. And it's like, you have to face that later on in life. You help people 
oh, maybe that's why you're having a hard time with men. That's what you do. You kind of bring that out. Right. We, we uncover the root belief that is at the core of all of that behavior. So you may not be aware of it because, it, like I said, it's running in the background. It's the script that's playing behind the scenes and under the radar. And so through hypnosis, you're put in a state where those subconscious beliefs come to the surface. And then we can identify them, trace them back to the root and give you the opportunity to make a different belief and a different conclusion about what that new belief means on how you live your life. And you get the choice. You give the power back to the person, basically. Right, as an adult. So like you said, it being unfair, this happening as a child, well, how we kind of equal the score is now as an adult, you get to make a new decision. You get to rewrite the old childhood script that you've been carrying with you your whole life. Yeah. What, what do you say to people that kind of don't believe it, that that's possible? I say try it. Give it a shot. Yeah, give it a shot. Uh, a lot of people think that hypnosis is just you completely surrender your willpower to the therapist, and that's not accurate. All hypnosis is self-hypnosis. So if you are not open to this um, experience, if you're not willing to go through the process, then the mind actually won't allow you to go there. There's Our, like some safety it's survival. measures inside of your mind yes. that won't make you ch- cluck like a chicken if you don't want to. Right. Or go down this deep, dark corridor called abuse, maybe. You know, you have to kind of ease your way into that or not. Your mind will say, no, we're not going there. Yeah, you have to have a certain level of comfort and willingness in order to go down that path. And and I want to say that the people that do it um, are automatically to be applauded because it does take intense courage to really just be willing to open up, open the door on, on darkness that you don't know what might be lying there. And being able to walk in bravely and say, I'm going to address whatever comes up. I think that's really courageous. You know what? I, I just re- remembered. I don't think I said your name. Oh, that's okay. Leah. <laughs> Which, because when you're saying the the court, you know, the, go inside this, it, it reminded me of Luke going into the cave <laughs> on Dagobah. Yeah. And, and, you know, he cuts off Vader's head, but he goes and he unmasks it and it was his own. He had to face himself. Because, yeah, that was the symbolism, right? Like facing the dark side, facing our dark, our shadow self, which we talk about in this line of therapy, that until you face your shadow, the darkness that's within all of us, then you can't really accept the light either. That you have to be able to fully embrace the darkness and the light that's within you to have that 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 love and that acceptance of the whole person that you are. That balance. The balance of the force. You know, it's interesting because you said you can't fully embrace the light unless you embrace the dark. We're taught you you got to get rid of the dark. The dark is bad. The dark is dark for a reason. Mm-hmm. So that's some of our early programming. But you're saying, no, the dark is there and we need to face it and figure out why it's there. Like you said, it brings balance. The darkness has power. So does the light. And what we say is that you can't heal what you can't see or what you're unwilling to look at. And I, and I think that goes along with traditional therapy when you think about addictions, right? Until you're willing to admit that there's an issue, there's a problem, there's a demon there, there's a darkness that I need to face. You cannot heal it until you look at, at it. And typically you have to look at it straight in the eyes and you have to acknowledge it, be honest about it, and then be willing to, to do the dance. Because it, it, it's your darkness, right? So that's scary. But the darkness also points out some of your greatest repressed strengths. Explain that a little bit. What what do you mean by that? Our darkness typically are the parts of ourselves that we have yet to accept, that we 
we judge, that we label as negative, as bad, as evil. But yet, if you have a belief system in, in light that is all loving, then, then everything can be brought into the light and can have a divine purpose. But if you keep it hidden in the dark, then it can never rise to its true value. It can never be self-realized, like Maslow says, you know, or that, that self-realization coming up the hierarchy of needs. You have to bring it up. You have to let it be exposed to the light. And the only way you can do that is to go into the darkness, right? Yeah. So you go into the darkness and you find maybe a tool that you could use something that could serve you later on in life that, well, this was there the whole time, but I wasn't willing to face it. And things look very different in the dark than they do when you bring them into the light. Okay. So the, you're saying you go down this, this corridor and then you find something like, wait a minute, this wasn't as bad as I thought. How would you know if it's been in the dark the whole time? Darkness distorts things, it hide thing, hides things. And so when you allow the light to reveal it, then maybe there's a revelation of beauty there that you weren't able to see when you had suppressed it and covered it up and hidden it and denied it. And then once you bring it into the light, you're like, oh, this is a beautiful gift. So I would uh, want to ask, is this something that you've experienced in your own life? Oh, yeah. I mean... <laughs> Is that what got you into being a hypnotherapist? Um, I, th- what got me into to being a hypnotherapist was having a personal experience of, of knowing that there was darkness or things maybe that I was afraid of more so than I thought was evil that I needed help getting the light shed upon. And so the hypnotherapy that I went into being a patient helped me do that. And in doing that, it really it took away the fear because it disarmed it and it helped me to realize that the belief in my mind about how bad it was or how terrible it was, once I actually dealt with it, it, it lost that power Mm -hmm. and it wasn't as bad as I had built it up in my mind. Because things could be scarier in your mind than in reality. Sure. I mean, it's like the, the monster in the closet or under the bed and then you look and it's like, Oh, it was a shoe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, my mentor would always tell me, it's like, okay, where do I start? He said, start where you're afraid. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to start there. It's like, well, that's where you got to start. Start wherever you're afraid. You know, it, 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 even in the, it comes to the Bible, start where what you don't understand. Mm-hmm. Start there. And, and that seems intimidating. Yeah. You know, it, it does, it's like, well, you're giving me bad advice now. It's like, well, no. And then once I dive into it, it's like, like a thread that I follow and it's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, this isn't so bad. And then I've noticed as putting that into practice, Mm -hmm. following that thread, things aren't as bad. And so it's like, I I continue to like climb this mountain as it gets taller and taller with more and more confidence that it's like, well, wasn't that bad last time. So it's probably not going to be bad again. You know, there's the initial shock of like, Oh no. But it's like, okay, I've been here before. If I can get my uh, frame of mind right, Mm -hmm. thinking like, okay, we've been here. What did we do last time? What did he say? Face it. Yes. And as you start to do that more and more frequently, uncovering these layers that we've built up of these judgments and beliefs, then it becomes easier every time that you do it because you're creating new habits and you're realizing that these fears that we create are mostly in our minds. They're mostly what we the judgments that we've imposed upon things. And so we're able to remove them. And as you become, you do that more often, you become better at it and you start to see fear as an opportunity for growth. And fear is an opportunity for growth. I like that. 
because it makes me think of the, I believe it's in Hinduism and a little bit in Buddhism about the, the concept of Maya about illusion. And really that's what fear is. Fear is illusion. And so as you begin to unmask this illusion, then you start to realize that there's really nothing that is bad per se. Everything is an opportunity for growth if you approach it that way. So that that's kind of in the, in the Bible where all things work together for the good. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a, a way to put that because it's like, well, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't sound good. This doesn't look good. But that could all be an illusion. Well, I think growth in the moment is almost always uncomfortable, if not painful. You think about going to the gym and working out. In order for you to improve and become stronger, you have to go through a process of discomfort, of pain, because you can only break beyond your current state by stretching, by by lengthening, by like doing things that 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 can be painful, that grow you. And then it's in the recovery process when you talk about like a muscle rebuilding itself. It's actually the tearing of the muscle fibers and then your body repairing back over it that's making it stronger. We have to be torn sometimes to get stronger. You know, but the thing, it's like, okay, if I go to the gym, I could see the improvement. It's tough when it comes to the mind because it's not as tangible, I guess. It's not as, uh, as uh, it doesn't, self-evident. You know, because I could see like, oh, okay, my biceps are growing or, you know, but it's like, okay, the mind, well, maybe I wasn't as far along as I thought, you know, and then you go into a panic and. I think the growth that you can see when you work on these deeper issues is in the relationships and the dynamics and the interactions that you have with other people. And you start to see those outcomes that maybe seem to have a pattern before. It always goes this way you know, people always reject me. I never get the job. You start to see those patterns shift as you begin to heal, as you begin to go into the darkness, as you begin to uncover the illusions, then you're able to show up differently in the world and people will start to respond differently to you. And then the outcome's different. Yeah. So that's almost like the law of attraction too, right? Because you attract different people to you. And then the people you may might've like vibed with earlier in life, it's like, well, that connection's just not there. And then you could get afraid to let that connection go. Like, well, I'm losing a friend, you Mm -hmm. know, it's like, but we don't have that same in common anymore. We don't have that, you know, and and it it gets scary because it's like, well, they're not coming around anymore. And I'm used to having them around and I'm used to doing this. It's, And so for that, I would say that one of my teachers talks about how the primary thing that we're meant to do in this process of of healing and growth is learn to attune to our true and highest self. And as we get better at attuning to ourself, anything else that doesn't resonate with that vibration of our true essence will either get better or it will leave. So when you start to see those things from your life exit as you're just allowing those things to be let go of that are no longer in attunement to your true essence, then you start to see them as blessings. Mm. It's like a bullet that you dodged, you know, it's like, Oh, thank God I didn't date that person. And you see those things exiting your life more effortlessly. You don't even have to engage in that struggle because your vibration starts to resonate at a higher vibration to where if it doesn't fit you, it either improves to rise to your vibration or it cannot stand to be in your presence. So, so you could actually make your group, your click, oh, your yeah. friends rise with you. As long as you stay attuned, if, as long as you are doing the work, 
if you're doing the work, but then there's some that might like, ah, whatever. He thinks he's full of himself or she's, she's full of it, you know? And then you see those go by the wayside or like they're not calling anymore. And it comes back to the whole light dark, um, that when something gets exposed to the light, it can't stay in the darkness, right? So the things that want to remain in the dark, like it talks about in the Bible, it says that, that the light came into the world and the darkness hated the light, right? Yeah. It couldn't tolerate it. So when you bring your light into a room and there's darkness that intends to remain dark, it can't stand in your presence. Yeah. And that could be another place of being uncomfortable, right? Because you're like, well, I'm used to these people kind of agreeing with me and being on the same level and it's not anymore, but you have to own like, no, I'm growing. You got, that's something you got to know inside, right? Yes. And as something that I'm learning pretty recently along this journey is that in order to really grow, you have to come to a place of getting good at letting go. You have to. You have to, huh? Yes. I mean, it's so there's a really good analogy about pruning and about how when you're trying to grow a plant even, that there's different things that you prune. A lot of people think you prune away the dead stuff. Right, you do. But that's not the first thing that a professional agricultural person will do. They'll prune away the things that are good but not great. Good but not great. Because that steals the life from where you're trying to go. So you have to know where you're trying to go. You have to have the vision for your life. You have to know the flower that you want to be in this world. And you have to be willing to trim away the good but not not great. great. And that's hard. Who wants to do that? The people who want the great. (laughs) So to get the great, it's like you got to take account of your life and where you're at and say, you know what, this this has to go too. Yeah. And good but not great. That those you could share tears over that. It does. It really brings in the whole grieving process. And that's why you have to come to a point where you're able to honestly look at your willingness and your ability to let things go. And I know for me, it's revealed I was not as good at it as I had hoped that I was or wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And but in the process, and it comes back to also allowing room for abundance, because you can't have more added to your life as long as you're maintaining what you currently have. So if you want more, if you want better, you have to let go of something. There's the whole balance. So that's like the principle of sacrifice. Something has to be sacrificed. Something has to be um, created a vacuum. Right. I think it's the natural cycles of the ebb and flow of life, you know, and, and space. And if you want to have more abundance, you have to create room for it in your life. You can't maintain having areas of your life that are filled with the good but not great and then think that somehow great is going to be able to flow into your life. You have to make room for it. And you have to do that sometimes through a very difficult and painful process of letting go of those things that are comfortable, are familiar, are routine, um, are maybe dependable. And they might be good, but are they the great that you are want? Are they great? They're good, but not great. So that that's a little bit of the intro, some background, but something we wanted to talk about that we discussed was uh, female and male energy. Yeah, so I really want to get clear, and I was thinking about this, to not mix up or inter interchange the masculine and feminine energies with gender. Okay. So just have a really clear distinction. Just because it's a masculine energy doesn't mean it's coming from a male. Okay. Just because it's a feminine energy doesn't mean it's coming from a female. Males and females gender can have and do typically have both energies. So this is more of a talk about the energies underneath and not the genders. 
mm-hmm. that we associate with those primary energies. Gotcha. Okay. So then you unpack that a little bit. Explain then what would a male or masculine energy be? Because a lot of times now you hear toxic masculine, masculine, I can't even say the word, but that's, it's toxic. Toxic masculinity. There we go. That's what, that's what you hear. That's like the buzzword. Yes. And, and I think that. Is it, (laughs) am I toxic? So, and that's, I think, you know, there, there's a overgeneralization and I feel like the very phraseology of that, the toxic masculinity, the toxic before the masculinity seems to label all masculinity as toxic. And I, I disagree mm-hmm. um, very strongly because masculinity is beautiful and it's necessary. And when you come back to the whole dualistic balance of life, of the energies of light and dark, um, of masculine and feminine energies, you cannot have life on this planet without a masculine energy form. It's, it's necessary and it's beautiful. You have to have both. You have to have both. So masculinity in and of itself is not toxic. It's absolutely very necessary, just as equally necessary as the feminine energy. Um, And I think that it's a really huge detriment to to our society that masculinity is now being perceived just in a negative light and as damaging. Mm -hmm. And we're not able to see the beauty and the good. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that masculine energies and that very dominant aggressive types of behaviors that are associated with masculine energy have done a lot of damage. Yeah. So the other buzzword is the patriarchy. You know, you hear about these societies that run off of the patriarchy and it's like, well, yeah, they did do a lot of damage, right? There is evidence of that throughout history. Sure. But to label everybody that happens to be of this uh, type that can't, you can't just throw a blanket over that. You can't just make a blanket statement. I think to do that is uh, a disservice to humanity. Yeah. Cause like, again, like you said, you need both. And what I'm fascinated with is the balance, mm-hmm. right? And you mentioned the dualistic look out of it. So the dualistic is to me another illusion. How so? Well, because it's like, it needs, you need the in and the out. Mm-hmm. You need both. The both are one. The both are one. The both are one. So it's just the way it manifests today here on this thing we call earth, this rock that we're spinning on. And it's like, well, so in one sense, gender doesn't exist because it's like, it's only a manifestation of here. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, because God is both. Yes. And we just happen to be in different bodies at different times that have certain hormones and certain chemicals and um, that course through your veins at certain times. So what would you say would define a feminine energy? So, and, and when I give a definition, I'm thinking from the perspective of spiritual traditions throughout the ages that have um, created these archetypal figures of masculine or feminine forms. So a feminine energy would be one that would uh, carry the characteristics of life bringing, nurturing. You think of the mother archetype, you think of mother nature. Um, you might think of the mother Mary or, um, also sensuality is a a feminine form of sensuality. That's very fluid and flowy. So like more of a water air type aspect as, as opposed to like a solid, that would be more of a masculine energy. So, um, feminine energy tends to have a receptive quality to it of being open to receive 
whereas the masculine energy is going to be more of the piercing. It's going to be more active and, um, and movement driven, not to say that femininity is not, but it's a different form, a different version. And so they do create a balance and, and the nurturing component, there is a masculine nurturing component too. You think of your father and there's a very different energy of a nurturing father than there is of a nurturing mother, but both have the capacity to be nurturing. So it's, it's something that you can't really, it's something you feel in sense. That's what I'm kind of getting because you can't kind of put a box on it and a label. And it's like, well, this is what the defines masculinity. This is what defines being feminine. It's like, okay, there is a little bit of fluid between it because it's not like, okay, the guy that joins up for the military and likes to shoot pigs out of helicopters and like, Oh, that's the man that he's, you know, he's there. Well, it's like, well, maybe he's not. I mean, I feel like I'm a good example of that. I'm a woman. I feel like I'm a very feminine woman. I was a Marine. Um, I was trained just like Marines that are males that are in combat to do the same types of things. So would that have been me acting more in a masculine energy? Probably most of the time, but it doesn't mean that everyone has to take that on a hundred percent to flow in and out of a different energy, a masculine or feminine energy. I was thinking about this and I think a good way um, to explain it is the seasons that we have here on planet earth. We have four seasons and man really likes to cr- create boxes to, to, to find things and put them in certain categories. Our brain is naturally equipped to categorize very quickly. It's how we survived thousands of years. And so we have set times, equinoxes, that divide the seasons. But if you really, if you're just observing nature, can you really pinpoint the moment when it shifts from summer to fall or from fall to winter? Uh, it just flows, right? It just flows from one cycle to the next. You can see small micro changes that, you know, it's the accumulation of them. And I like to see that. I, th- I think of that as the holistic of bringing the masculine and feminine together is when we can see that, 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 um, that it naturally should flow into each other. It should be very cyclical. And, um, and that the mastery is not to do what I think we're really good at doing here in the West, which is, binary everything right Mm -hmm, black white good bad um pure profane and say that we just have males and masculine and females and feminine and um really see the beauty in that the mastery is being able to both see and accept both in all of us and know how to to intentionally choose it and when to flow in and out of each energy that's where mastery lies so then you would say there would be times for the, the, the masculine energy to be nurturing. Yes. So even though that's a feminine trait, more higher in the feminine trait, there's a time for the masculine guy to like, well, no, I need to be nurturing right now. My son needs me. My daughter needs me. I need to step out of this, whatever that is, to focus on, okay, well, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. I think that's where, where the health is in any individual whether it be with the masculine feminine energies or whether it be with emotions, you know, because if you have uh, an out of balance emotion and you respond to everything with just one emotion, that's unhealthy. If, if everything that I respond to is with anger and I can't flow into um, sadness or joy, then I'm an unbalanced person and I create chaos and toxicity in my life. Coming back to the toxic, 
So it's the out of balance that creates the toxicity, not the flowing in the masculine. And I think that is what we're, we're missing the whole point here in our culture is that it's not the masculinity that's toxic. It's our lack of balance between the two. Yeah, there we go. It's not bringing that balance back. Right. You know, um, so I'll be honest as a kid growing up with three sisters and a mom and a dad that wasn't really around. Mm -hmm. I struggled with, okay, what is masculinity? What I was raised by my mom and the the, around three girls, pretty much that's it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I remember my first job out of, um, well, first job after McDonald's was construction. And I was thrown into this, like almost like a pit of just this masculine energy, mm-hmm. right? I'm not going to put it uh, black or white, good or bad, right or wrong, but it was just something that I was not familiar with at all. And I felt like the little chihuahua with a lot of pit bulls <laughs> and like, and then, oh, I felt like lunch, right? But I knew there was something in me that I need to stay this course. That's what I was going to ask. What, what was your learning experience there? What was your takeaway from that, that environment? See, I, again, at first I hated it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was like, what am I doing here? But, you know, I, I felt God wanted me here. That's mm-hmm. I, I, I was like, you know, I kind of did some things and I, I said some prayers and it was like somebody offered me a job right after I was like, God, I need a job. And then somebody's like, hey, I got this job. And I'm like, okay, well, that must be a road to go down. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty terrifying, but I did it for 10 to 15 years as an electrician down this road. And, um, it, it would even go to my mentor. It's like, no, I feel I need to be here for a little while longer. Mm. And it, it got torturous. It got what, pretty what bad. What part made it well, torturous? Like, so like the, the, the masculine energy that I wasn't used to, that um, very intense, you know, I, I just went and I saw my old boss today, actually. And I said, I'm going to talk about you on the radio <laughs> or on the podcast. And he's like, you better not, you know, but it's like, no, it'll be good. So he was, uh, he's a, like a man's man. He's the one that shot pigs out of helicopter, like every year goes hunting, a big football player. And, uh, but he saw something in me and he would try to get me to see it, you know, and he did it the best way he knew how, and it was very intense and it was like a pressure cooker, Mm. you know? And I just, I, I, I just saw the anger. I just saw frustration. I just saw like, oh, he's just this guy. And I, I painted him as bad. At, during the time, you know, not realizing like, oh no, later on, it's like he was trying to teach me life lessons mm-hmm. because a- after I, um, I've been out of the job a few years, it was like, he was right about this. He was right about that. He was right about that. But the shell or the form it came in, I wasn't able to receive it at the time, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. Yeah. But and- I would say that that maybe his was his form of, of being in a masculine nurturing so role. no, there was no mur- nurturing. That's the thing. There wasn't really, and not the nurturing. It was very just like bulldozer. Okay. Yeah. But would you say his intention was to guide you? And but to the intention and- was good. Yeah. That's what I would say. And so the intention was good, but it was just like a, a bulldozer coming in. And um, so it was tough to receive. But what I would do is like, I'd get off of the work and then I'll go see my mentor and we'd sit down and we're kind of dissect. Well, okay. What is this? What is, what could we learn from this? And that helped me um, go through that process. And um, w- one of the things I want to bring up is about the mentor is, you know, he would actually, um, show me these things, embody these things that a man was supposed to do. And that really helped. 
The mentor, not the mentor, the boss. not the boss. Okay. The mentor helped show me these things and live it out. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, almost like monkey see, monkey do. It's like, yeah. okay, if he could do it, then I could do it. And he's more nurturing. He has the balance of both. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see the guy, he's a big guy, ex marine, and uh, very intimidating looking but he could sit down and have coffee and he has the balance of both. And it's just like, okay, I can receive from here. I feel comfortable. I feel safe. Yeah. That's important. It is. The safety. And I was thinking when you're talking about that, of where do we learn these archetypal roles, these masculine and feminine, um, like stereotypes of what masculine looks like and what feminine looks like. And for most of us going back to hypnotherapy, we learn so much. We're imprinted upon so early on by our early caregivers and you said that you didn't have really a a male figure when you Mm -hmm. were growing up so you had a lot of feminine energy female imprinting on you Um, and I think a lot of young boys and males have that dynamic today a lot of single mothers out there a lot of um, lack of a, a male or masculine energy type of figure in their early formative years so where do young boys and young men learn that? Where do they get it? You mentioned your mentor helping you to see and to like really observe. And he was a model. And in psychology, there's this thing known as social learning theory that we learn through what we see. And it is very much the monkey see, monkey do at a, a little bit more of an evolutionary perspective as humans, but we still do it. And we have these things called mirror neurons where when I see you doing something, my brain lights up as if I'm doing it too. So the impact that that has on, on our experience, on our development is huge. And, and when you, you amplify that with media and what we see in the media and the different archetypes or role models or sports players or politicians that what they're modeling as these stereotypical masculine or feminine roles for a lot of people, that's the only modeling that, that they get. And mm-hmm. so we have, I think, started to really just identify masculine and feminine with what the media has showed us. And I think it's it's a, a disservice to both because we were talking, you and I, about um, really asking the question of what's healthy masculinity look like and who would we look to now in the exactly. media that would be able to say that's healthy masculinity. And then you said, well, what about healthy, like femininity? Like who would that be? Please tell me. I mean, I just like, who comes to mind for me is Oprah. Oprah, I, okay. I feel like she's a pretty great representation of healthy femininity. Why and is that? Because she's very open. I feel like she has a warmth about her and a very nurturing and questioning that there's a, a gentleness, but also there's a, a role of of gentle correction too. You know, she's not just passive, but she does have that. I want to help people. I want to show them. I want to help people explore their own story without shame. Um, I want to help people. Um, and I want to understand, I want to learn from you. So I, I feel like that's a really good, um, expression of her, uh, healthy femininity and that she's done a lot to try and give back. She does a lot, especially for young girls and young women, um, that don't have access to a lot of things that we do here in the West. Um, so I see it as a very healthy type of energy that she's put out into the world. 
so since you you have somebody to point towards to look at then those mirror neurons will, will light up you if, if you observe her maybe in an interview or whatever she's doing that's like okay that's yeah. something i could do and then you were able to kind of uh, imprint that on yourself yes and i think like even for me in my experience of growing up in grade school is we had you know different people that we would look to throughout history that we could point to as kind of hero figures, you know, whether they were male or female, masculine or feminine. I would think of like Amelia Earhart and her pioneering energy and exploration and what she did for women. But that was atypical of the feminine perspective in that time that she lived. Um, and so being able to have people to look to, I think that's, that's how we grow and that's how we, we do. We learn what does it look like for me to, to wear a healthy masculine or feminine energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think that it's a bit harder to find a healthy masculine example right now in our culture and in society. Yeah. And, you know, it was tough for me even to stick with my mentor. It's like been on and off for like 16 years. Mm-hmm. But I really had to like weather storms and he had to weather storms with me like in and out like it's like, well, are you sure you really want to do that? Like and he would just let me go and I would pull up my life and I'd show up back up his doorstep, you know, a couple years later. And um, but but so the reason why I guess he was attractive as a mentor was because. So like it would take my ex boss, like he's the man's man, but I'm never going to be that guy. I don't like guns. Mm -hmm. I don't like guns. I don't hunt. You know, I can go camping, but I would rather be in the trees, you know, and meditate somewhere. And so it's like, well, that type of masculinity will never appeal to me. You know, it's like what I need, I do need to be, you know, tough and be a protector and, and do the things that I would think a man needs to do. But I just, when it would come in these other packages, I was like, well, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to kill things. Yeah. You yeah. have to be true to who you are coming back to the t- attuning to our true, true self and our highest self. And I think that's why it's important to have a diverse pool of potential mentors to pull from, because then we can more align and associate to those that we feel more uh, like similar to. And, and not everyone demonstrates their energies the same way. And that was something that I was thinking when you were talking was that I think one of the values of having a mentor is that you get to see them behave in all different manners of circumstances of life because life is not stagnant. It's very fluid. It's ups, it's downs. So to just see like one example in a textbook of what masculine energy looks like, that that's it, unrealistic. Yeah, it can't do it. It can't, can't it doesn't do it. solve the need that's there. You can't always be a hunter or a warrior or, you know, these other types of things that we've identified with masculinity. You have to see someone go through um, sadness, grief, loss, joy, happy times, uh, relationships, and see how it's expressed throughout all these different frames of life so that that way you can understand, okay, when I'm in this situation, what's a healthy response here? Exactly. And I've seen him in these situations where it's like, whoa, like you're facing this and you're this calm. Yeah. And, and you, you, you got everything together and he were just like, yeah. Yeah. We need to see people live it out. And I think you and I were talking about what would be a good representation of healthy masculinity. And for me, it's, it's Jesus. I feel mm-hmm. like Jesus is a great representation of what healthy masculinity looks like. And he, he did some things that weren't always, you know, people I think see Jesus as this religious figure, 
Um, but there's moments in the Bible where he turned over tables, where he chased people out with whips, uh-huh. where, where he, he did what he needed to do. He used a very masculine energy. Mm. Yes. But he also was able to extend love very, very largely on a grand scale. He was a teacher. Um, he healed people. He had a nurturing quality. He listened well. Um, so I think he's a great representation of what healthy masculinity could look like. And another one that came to mind was Mr. Rogers. Uh, okay. okay. <laughs> That's cool. Rest in peace. <laughs> yeah. Yes, rest in peace. But Mr. Rogers, I mean, he, I think he did a service to a lot of, um, a lot of kids because he showed a figure of a, a healthy male role model who I think what's lacking with the masculinity in the healthy form is that um, a lot of young boys have been taught that masculinity always has to be like assertive and harsh uh-huh. and dominant and that there's not an openness. And I think you can be assertive and I think you can be firm and strong and still have an openness and um, not always be so so sharp with judgment. See, and so I, I'm, I love being honest on my podcast. <laughs> I didn't have that. I didn't have the assertiveness. I don't think a lot of people have seen it or had it. And I felt that it was wrong to have it. I was Mm -hmm. almost ashamed when I had to be assertive or I had to like make a decision. And then my mentor were like, no, you need to do this. Yes. That's actually attractive to women when you do this and you face this thing. It's, and it's like, well, I had no frame of reference for it. I hadn't, uh, there was no, I never seen anybody do it until he's, my mentor was so cool. Like he would take me, he's like, you need to see me do this. Come on. That's awesome that you had that. Yeah. Let's get in the truck and you need to see me do this. That's great. And he would have to go and I would see him make a tough decision. And it's like, whoa, yeah, like that's, that's a thing mm-hmm. that's possible. And so now in my life, that's how I'm with my boys. That's how I am with my friends. And I, I'm able to give it because somebody gave it to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still a struggle. It's still something that I'm always facing. It's like, well, no, this, this is this is my role. But there was a the cool part about it. It's like when I'm in my role, I feel good. That's important. Right? Like yeah. I feel like, oh, oh, this is what it feels like. And I think that that's a testament to you being in your essence, right? Because when we are aligned, then things are in harmony. And harmony tends to create that feeling of, of peace and serenity and, and flow state and things like that. So um, if you're a healthy individual, I think when you have that response, that it, it can be a reminder that this is good. This you this is you being in alignment with your true nature, with yourself. So that's like an flow. indicator. That's an indicator like, okay, you're on the right path or you're... you're I think for a healthy individual, yes. I okay. think there are some individuals that um, their reality is skewed and they're their feelings have been disconnected from what is true and what is, you know, in alignment with their true essence. And that can create distortion for them. But I think by and large, most people that are, are healthy individuals, when you have that sense of peace and that sense of, of purpose of, okay, this is what I'm here for. This is what I'm created to do. Then yes, I think that that definitely um, should be seen as a sign that you're, you're in alignment with what you're supposed to be in alignment to. Gotcha. And you feel the opposite when you're out when of When you're not, right? Yeah. You kind of, if you, and I've noticed that I, I've learned to listen to those, I guess my body and like, okay, oh, now I'm out of alignment. Mm-hmm. Like if I didn't go handle a situation that I should have handled, it's like that now there's a, there feels like a disconnect. Mm-hmm. 
you know? So it, it's kind of interesting. Like one of the things I did before the podcast, I went and paid a bill mm. and like now I get joy out of paying my bills. Like that's a thing that men do. They take care of the responsibilities. And before it was like from my, I guess my upbringing, it was like the bills are here. Oh no. Like, what are we going to do? And then arguments. And it's like, why? I don't even know why we were doing that as kids or why did I see that from my parents? It's like, well, no, you go handle it. It's here. And now it's like, I went and paid the bill. It's like, I felt great afterwards. So one of my teachers says the truth feels good. And I see that as a demonstration of the truth feels good because when we're in alignment with our true self, we are living in truth. And so when we do what's right and responsible in alignment with what's true, that feels good. And I do think, I think that feelings have gotten a really bad rap in our culture, especially the more um, closely you are involved with like traditional religious belief systems. There's a lot of shaming for following your feelings and I believe that from a human perspective, our feelings have been given to us as a gift uh, to show alignment or out of alignment to help us get back into that healthy homeostatic place of when we are aligned to ourselves. And so if we can do a better job of tuning in and recognizing this feels good, this feels right, or this feeling in my gut or my chest, I feel tight or tense, then we can start to interpret better whether we're in alignment or whether we're out of alignment. And you're saying feeling and feeling is different than an emotion. It's like, well, you got to feel the emotion. You got to feel what's behind there. And me and Justin were talking about a little bit yesterday when we were going to discuss today. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I would just say, well, people just should just sit with themselves for a little while. Every day. You know, just <laughs> sit with yourself and feel if that is that, is that right? Is that right for you? Like I can't, I, I don't judge people or I try my best not to judge them in situation, whatever they're at. But I would tell them, well, go sit with yourself, shut off the TV, Mm -hmm. put away the phone and just go sit and see if, if that path you're going down is feels like the right thing to do. Once I started doing that, I've been meditating for two years now. It's like, Oh my goodness. It's one of the best things that I ever started doing. And yeah, what was wrong with me for this many years, you know, up until I was 37, like I, 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 I never sat with myself. I always needed distraction. I needed something yes. going on to, to kind of blind me from looking into that darkness. To drown out the noise. To drown it out. Of yourself, of yeah. the feelings, of the knowings, of the discomfort. And that is what we are doing right now in our society. We cannot, most people cannot sit with themselves in silence I mean, I would challenge anyone who's listening here, any of our viewers that just take five minutes and really challenge yourself to turn everything off, turn off your phone, turn off the the noise that's in the background. Don't allow yourself to be distracted and just sit and feel and listen, internally listen. And it's going to be uncomfortable. And you know what? The discomfort, that's growth. And that's telling you something, isn't it? It is. So yeah, like what you were saying is if, if you listen to yourself and you are honest about what you're feeling, then it, it puts you to a, a decision point, right? Am I going to stay the same or am I going to realize that I'm out of alignment and change my behavior to do whatever it is that I need to do to get back in that alignment with myself, to come back to my own truth? And that's what I like to think about meditation as is it's coming home to yourself every day. Mm-hmm. Every time that you do it, you're coming back home to yourself because 
in today's world, at least for me, it's so easy to get drawn away from your true nature, from your true self, from your true essence. And so the only way that I know to, to find it again is to come back home. And I do that in sitting in silence and meditation and turning off the noise. And That's the a practice you've developed? Yes. For how long? Um, probably about 15 years now. 15 years. I haven't always done it consistently. I have been doing it consistently probably for about the past two years or so Okay. of a daily practice. And even the science now is supporting that as little as eight to 10 minutes a day can change your brain. That's so the, <laughs> the brain chemistry, the, what, what does it change about your brain? So the brain has this thing called neuroplasticity, which basically means that it can create new pathways for electrical impulses to flow through. And a, a new pathway is any new thought, any new behavior, any new pattern that you want to create, a habit, anything like that. People used to think that we were hardwired. Well, research has shown that's not true. We can rewire our brains and we can do it through things like meditation and creating more neural pathways by trying new things or by allowing yourself to just have different brain states where your brain can start to process and, and reset in a sense. Mm -hmm. And so in doing this from for eight to 10 minutes a day, not only are you able to create new circuitry and wires and how you think and how you feel, but it actually helps to um, help improve other health factors like reducing stress and anxiety. It helps with your sleep. Um, it helps balance your hormones. All of these things. I mean, what better pill could you get, you know, that that does all of that in one place? And, and this is just eight to 10 minutes a day. Yeah. You know, um, we had a board meeting here. We're at the Littlewood Co-op. This is where we record this nice art gallery. And we had a board meeting. And so we're dividing up responsibilities and um, one of the things was cleaning. I was like, well, I'll clean. Mm. I'll do the dishes. And everybody looked at me like, what? <laughs> the dishes? That's the worst. And so I, I mentioned that, well, no, I programmed my brain to like to do dishes. Yeah, I remember you telling and me it, Yeah, that. we talked about yeah. it on the last one. And it really worked. It does. At first, I was there like hot and heated and you know, sweating and frustrated. But it's like, no, I like really like doing dishes and I would wash mm -hmm. them. I really like and I put some movement into it, you mm -hmm. know, maybe put on some music and dance. And then that was about like two and a half years ago. And to this day, if, if there's dishes in the sink out here, I'll go just do them. You're going to race me to them, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I just go do them. And it's like, it just became second nature. So you're right that you can reprogram your brain. Mm -hmm. And um, then I thought about it more. It was like, oh, my dad, when he would get off, if the dishes weren't done, he would be in a bad mood. He'd complain. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if he was really angry, he would actually break dishes just to show like it's a woman's place to do dishes. And I got off of work. You, these aren't done. I'm going to break some. So that kind of was uh, imprinted on me to like, okay, dishes, it's like a bad area. Bad Don't do it. Yeah. And I had to step and say, no, I got to face this. Mm -hmm. And I reprogrammed it just by doing some tricks that I read from like Tony Robbins and some other people. And it, it really works. It does. And another thing that they've shown that has a really big impact is gratitude. That gratitude, people that have gratitude and can practice it on a daily basis are happier. Um, they have less incidence of depression or anxiety. So pairing meditation with gratitude, I feel like is like your superfood. That's, that's superpower, <laughs> huh? It is. It really oh, okay. is. Yeah. So you're doing all of the health benefits that we talked about before, plus gratitude, which is going to help the thing that 
I believe now the current rates are between 45 and 65% of our population are in some form of antidepressant or anti-anxiety drug. And you can actually address that free with just having time where you sit and you express gratitude from your heart mm-hmm. for those things that you're grateful for. And when, once you start doing it, I find that you start to see, um, you have to have, you have more of a capacity to see all the things that you're grateful for. It, it's like it expands your awareness. So then can you do something like, I'm grateful for the darkness. I'm grateful. I am grateful for the darkness. Grateful for the gift. darkness. Yes. Grateful for that place where I don't want to go, but every time I go there, there's like a treasure. Right. And I think that might be hard for some people starting out. So start with the things that are easy to be grateful for. And as you start to do that, it's like a snowball effect. It just becomes easier and easier, like a, a ball rolling down a hill. So then, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for clean water. I'm grateful for heat and air. Okay. Now I'm grateful for that just uncomfortable conversation I had today with my boss. Mm. And, and so you start to be able to see it starts to expand your awareness. And you can really get there. Yeah, you can. You can get to a place where you're like, I'm grateful for the uncomfortable conversation I had with my boss because I've been there <laughs> and they got really uncomfortable. But I was like, I'd go, I, no, I think I need to be in this classroom. Yeah. I need to be here and there's something and I was grateful for it. And I, I'm glad I stuck it out because now, you know, he's an entrepreneur um, has a successful business, very successful. And now I'm starting my business back up again. And it's like, he was right. He was right. He was right. I'm so grateful. So when I saw him today and he was kind of like, cause we left on bad terms, you know, he was like, don't say anything bad. It's like, no, it's going to be good. I'm yeah. grateful. I'm at a pace. I went and shook his hand. And it's like, no, I'm grateful for this. It's all good. It's and all and good. that's what gratitude, the practice of it helps you do. It really helps you to start to see how everything really is good. It, it, really expands your awareness and your perspective of those things in the moment when we're in that potentially fight or flight response and we're in the animal brain that's just reactive. Gratitude brings us back to our our frontal cortex where we've evolved to be as humans, where we can think, where we can rationalize, where we have creativity. And we get there and we start to see things from a, a higher bird's eye view and say, okay, I couldn't see that while I was in it, but now that I'm up here, I see how that's connected to this next step in my life that's going to get me where I want to be. It gives you a whole different point of view, a whole different way of looking at your life. It makes me think of the story of Joseph in the Bible. Are you familiar? Very familiar. Okay, so yeah. so Joseph, you know, he was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he went into Egypt, and he was a slave. And through this whole course of events, Joseph does the right thing. He makes the right choice to stay attuned to who he is, which is to be an honorable man in healthy masculinity. And he gets thrown in prison and he gets falsely accused. Um, But he continues to do the right thing to where eventually at the end of the story, he becomes second in command to Pharaoh. And so all of those things, he even says, he's like, you know, what, what was intended for evil God turned into good. So the, the, the prison was a classroom. <laughs> the prison was a classroom. The slavery was a classroom. It was preparing him for his next step in the mm. journey. And I think that's what is so easy for us to lose sight of, that every battle that we fight, it's training us for the next place that we're going to be. And if we don't have that battle, if we don't have that struggle, if we don't get to use that resistance and do that, that weight training, we're not going to be strong enough when we get to that next place. Wow. 
So have gratitude. Have gratitude. So what would you say to a woman that's trying to come into her femininity? So that is something that like I find very fascinating because for me, I didn't feel like I had a really good feminine model. And I think a lot of women, if they're honest, there's a lot of female energy out there, but not necessarily healthy femininity. There's a lot of seductress archetypes. There's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the feminine characteristics are portrayed as negative or over-sexualized, but having like a healthy type of feminine role model wasn't so readily available for me. And another thing that women have done is in order to succeed in today's world they've taken on a lot of masculine energy traits and roles and so that's what i had i had very strong women but they were acting in their masculine they were strong but because they had a and it's not even probably their fault right right it's probably what they learned or what they knew they had to do to survive you know because i would look at my mom right where my mom did everything in the house Mm -hmm. well it's because my dad wasn't and for us to survive she had to do it. And so I thought kind of growing up that imprint at seven years old, when these things are being formed, like, oh, this is just the way it goes. Right. Yes. So later on, when I get married, I'm thinking, well, this is just the way it goes. <laughs> Come to find out it's not the way it goes. <laughs> right. And, 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 but it wasn't my mom's fault, you know, it's just the situation she was in, but it is up to her to go down that into that cave to go face herself and figure out, okay, why isn't this working the way I'm supposed to work? Because she would do it, but there would be a resentment there mm-hmm. that he's not doing it. Yeah. She would pick it up, but it was a resentment saying, well, he's supposed to be doing it. And that's the other thing that I learned was well, like, oh, my dad's bad, mm. you know? Yeah. So it's like, oh, my dad's a bad guy. I don't ever want to be like that. I don't, I don't want to. So that was imprinted on me. So it's like, I had nowhere to go until I found my mentor at 16 and uh, he was doing a roof at at the church and it was a lot of work. And I was there with somebody else and he's like, I'm out of here. I ain't going to do this. And I'm, I stayed there that it's like, well, I'm going to do this roof. I'm going to figure out what this means Mm. and, uh, and figure it out. So you're okay. So for the woman though, she, she has to find something, right? Somebody. Yeah. I think it's equally as hard for women now to find what does healthy femininity look like as it is for men? What does it even find? look like? What does it look like? You know, because I feel like we are so readily drawn to these extremes for the masculine energy and for the feminine energy. And what does that balanced, healthy energy look like? And I think there's been a lot of um, probably historically a little bit longer shaming of aspects of feminine energy and the divine gift and how women are very connected to the cycles of nature um, and having things like a menstrual cycle be seen as dirty and bad, which it's and not, wrong. it's a part of nature. Like you said, there's, a, you know, it, it, it's kind of interesting to me. Like, so a woman kind of knows when she becomes a woman, mm-hmm. there's like this thing that happens in, in cultures for a man to become a man. That's why they do like these rites of passage to, to, it's like, okay, no, you're a man now. Like a bar mitzvah. Bar, yeah. So they, there had to be something instituted, but a woman is so in touch with nature. It's just mm-hmm. like, it becomes, it blossoms, it blooms yeah. as one. A man could be like 40 years old and still like, okay, I'm still a kid and, you know, play around. But it's like, no, a woman, like the, we have responsibilities now. There's something changing. There's something developing. And you have to go down that road, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, a woman's body is her monthly reminder of the cycle of life. And I think that in some ways that makes it easier for women to to stay in touch with that feminine energy and that flow and seeing that life is cyclical. 
um, and it's less linear, which I think that linear perspective tends to be more of a masculine energy kind of quality. And thinking about this, um, I, I think, what if like the balance between the feminine energy of having that reminder of the cycle is here to help remind the masculine energy to help bring that that male energy back to to the earth and to the cycles of nature that once again it's not supposed to be one is better than the other it's supposed to be both and together the, a harmony right because if one is doing a certain role the masculine energy is doing a certain role and i believe that you mentioned vision a couple of times um I think that vision tends to be a very masculine trait, which we absolutely need. We need someone with strong piercing vision, and that tends to be what drives us forward towards a direction. That's a masculine energy. But then we need the feminine energy that's in the cycle that reminds the visionary, come back. And there's come no, back. there's no, there's not a problem of going forward right. and there's not a problem of coming back. It's just like both. It's both and. It, it's both and. It's like this, okay. And it's nothing wrong with the man getting caught up in the vision. It's just what he's going to do. Right. It's just going to be a part of, and then the woman's supposed to be like, no, come back. There's a time for rest. There's a time to drive forward. There's a time to rest. There's a time for, like, it's the whole Ecclesiastes, right? Mm -hmm. There's a time for war. There's a time for peace. There's a time for love. There's a time for hate. Um, There's a time to sow. Uh And there's a time to reap. There's a time to build. And there's a time to quit building. And it's the balance of all of these that that make life beautiful and healthy. And it's when we get skewed to one side or the other and we start labeling and judging and and attributing more value to one and not seeing the value as them be integrated as one unit holistically. So then a healthy woman that's into her femininity will want to uplift her man. Yes. Wouldn't be threatened about him being that piercing vision that's going forward, she would like, no, that's needed. And I think equally a healthy man would be willing to support a woman who has a visionary masculine energy and really support her in moving forward too, that they would both be able to flow in and out of their masculine and feminine together. Together in like a cycle. Yeah, so that way they're supported and it's less of a binary type of weight that's put on one person. And I think that's where a lot of the imbalance in our culture has come from is us imposing these expectations of roles of you can only do within this lane. And then it becomes overwhelming and there's no helping or lifting of the load and a flow back and forth. And it's not a team effort anymore. It's the single point of failure on either side. And then we, we can't survive without each other. We've tried to, we've, we've, We've said, I don't need you, but uh-huh. we do. We need both. For we life need to both. happen, for the future, it has yeah, to. Yeah, life needs it. Life, life needs the balance. We need the balance. And not necessarily that we need another person, but we need to embrace the balance within us, both qualities. Mm-hmm. We need to be willing to say, I have masculinity within me. Maybe I need to check my toxic masculinity at the door too. Wow. And maybe what about my toxic femininity? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we all need to be more introspective about maybe it's just toxicity that we need to look out for instead of applying labels. And the toxicity would be you're not looking out for each other. I think right? the, to- yeah, the I only think- time you're going to be toxic is if you're not looking out for your brother, your sister, and then you're going to come with this type of energy that is has no uh, bearing to the relationship. Yeah, I think it's when we start to just see and ascribe labels and judgments of 
once again, it's, it's what we're denying, what we're pushing into the darkness within ourselves. That's what's damaging. When we can accept ourselves fully, all of it, the masculine, the feminine, the whole thing, and we don't label one as better or worse than the other, but we see them both as absolutely essential to life for us and for others, then that's where health comes in. That's when you um, can flow. That's when you are in flow and being able to have um, the introspective time to develop the skill and the awareness and the discipline on when is appropriate to move in and out of each of these roles. Mm. So you would say, so one thing or the big thing, learn to sit with yourself Mm -hmm. and then maybe find somebody that you think embodies this uh, healthy masculinity or femininity to the best and then kind of model or, or use that as like a template. I think we do. We need to all start like asking the questions of ourselves first and of our culture of what does healthy look like? What does healthy femininity look like? And how would that be personified in our society and culture? And how can I exemplify that? How can I walk that out on a daily basis? How can I be a mentor for someone younger than me? What does healthy masculinity look like? And and how can that be exemplified in our culture? And then also, I think, be aware of what are the messages that are being given either outrightly or covertly about what is appropriate because I think that's a huge question now it's like we've we've confined these roles into oh I can't say anything now right yeah because what's appropriate I can't compliment someone because it's going to be perceived as uh, something negative or something unhealthy or aggressive and I think we just really need to really reevaluate what does healthy look like and start personifying that within our own lives. Yeah. And that's, uh, I think that's a great thing. Cause if you start here, mm-hmm. then the rest flows and it gets attracted to you. But you can't do that as long as you're just bombarded by all of the media and all of the noise Shut and all it of off. The, the people that get tell rid you of it. Exactly. Well, not only that, but like you can't just take something away and not, not fill it because nature hates a vacuum, right? You have to be able to start interjecting that. That's why I said we have to ask the question, what does healthy look like? Because when we start withdrawing the negative, we've got to fill it with something. Mm -hmm. We've got to put something back out there. And I think, you know, when in doubt, follow love, like go in the direction of love. How can you be toxic if you follow love? Yeah. I mean, and, and what is love? Yeah. You know, one of the things we used to ask questions, my mentor, to get a notebook and write questions down. And that's stuff that's, that was one of the things. What does it look like? I would write that down, actually, because just as a practice, like mm-hmm. I, I, I need to know where to aim. Yes. Where to go. And it's crazy. And he said, you'll notice like things will start to pop up. Yeah. Well, and that was what I was going to say was like in meditation, that's one of the benefits that I've noticed is that. It primes your brain. So it's like the effect. There you go. It primes your it brain. It primes your brain. It's like the effect of when you um, you buy a new car that you've never had before, and all of a sudden you see it everywhere on the road. Like, who bought these cars at the exact same time that I would bought my right? car? It, nothing has changed. It's just your brain has been primed to notice it more. So meditation, you can do the same thing, like you're mentioning, priming yourself to be more aware and observant of what you're looking to see. Because our it's so... Self-promoting bias actually has us to where our brain will look for things that support our belief that we already have. 
our, br- our brain is so narcissistic. That's so horrible, our <laughs> brains. But that's how we're built is to like to find things that support the beliefs that we already have. So if you want to change a belief system, you have to start with a question. And you have to start with the right questions. And then you have to be willing and open to look and see answers come in that maybe aren't aligned with your former beliefs. Yeah, they're, they're the ones that are uncomfortable. You know, I, I learned one thing, like if you clasp your hands together, mm-hmm. there's a normal uh, way that your thumbs always sit. Yeah. And if you unclasp them and then do it with the th- other thumb on top, mm-hmm. it feels very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But if you do it enough times over and over again, it starts to build like, okay, I could do this. But the, the first, it's just like, what am I doing? What, what is this? And people could practice this if they're listening or watching. It's like, yeah, that's uncomfortable. But if you do it like about 10 times, it's like, oh, yeah. Okay. It comes back to the whole neuroplasticity and rewiring the circuitry in our brain. And one way to do that faster, and Tony Robbins talks about this in, in his conferences and getting people to move their bodies. Because when we have a thought or a belief that we want to change and we incorporate body movement, we more deeply ingrain those neural pathways. And so if you want to change a belief, incorporate a corresponding behavior that you're going to do too. And that's going to help drive that change faster. Could it be like any, any, any type of activity? Because I, I remember um, somebody who told me, it's like when you do your affirmations, mm-hmm. go run and do affirmations. Like the two to, together become deadly. As long as it's consistent. Because as as you're, consistent? you're creating okay. new patterns. You're creating new habits for your brain associations. And so, yeah, if and that's what world religions have done with like mantras and prayers and things like that is the repetitive nature and mudras, which you do in, in yoga sometimes and meditation is going through the sequence the same way over and over and over again. You're that you're creating wires and routes in your brain for the mm. circuitry to flow. You're creating patterns and habits. You know, so. I, one thing I do, I, and I noticed when I looked at last episode, I talk with my hands a lot. Mm-hmm. I always move. Well, uh, I was listening to a podcast that said that actually helps you think. And if, if somebody would go, they did experiments to tie your hands, you would have a hard time thinking hmm. that it would, it would, it that person that talks with their hands would like, okay, what am, what am I doing again? But when yeah. they're flowing like that, that actually gets the words to help come out. And it's like, oh, that's cool. That's why I do it. I never knew that. But that was an experiment they did and a study they did on, on people that talk with their hands. So it's like, oh, the two flow together, the they mind do. and the body. And there was also a study that had to do with uh, people with Alzheimer's and dementia. The old thought was, okay, get them to do crossword puzzles and these things to work their, their brains. Mind, yeah. Well, they found out actually exercise mm-hmm. was better. Getting them to bounce a ball was actually better for them than just doing a crossword puzzle and working their minds. Yeah. So we so incorporate com- movement and a practice. Yeah, it comes back to the whole holistic component and getting away from the compartmentalizing everything and breaking things into parts. Oh like we're so yeah, good at there doing you go. And realizing that the the human being. It's, it's holistic and you can't just separate one from the other. But I think we talked about our last episode about with hypnotherapy, that the memories we believe are stored in our body and our nervous system. And so the brain and the body are very deeply connected on so many different levels. And, and now they're, they're able to measure that we're electrical and we have energy. And some people believe, I believe that we have energy bodies that extend beyond our physical bodies. And so when we move, we interact with all of these different energies. And I was actually listening 
to a study that talks about how as humans, we are electrical and that when we're in the same room with other electrical bodies, that if we're in there long enough, we all start to synchronize like our energies and our heartbeats will start to get on the same wavelength. And if you think about that and you think about that on a grander scale of like concerts and, and our culture, they've actually shown that people's brain waves will start to resonate at the same frequency level. Just because they're they're together together in a room experiencing something. I think that, that we don't really understand the complexities of us being the social beings that we are. I, I think we know we're social beings as far as, you know, looking at apes and primates and how we, we work in a societal type of, you know, construct. But I don't think we really understand the things that we don't see, the energies, our energy bodies, the frequencies, the connection, the vibrations that we all carry, that we all have the, an individual energetic fingerprint and how that can influence other people's energy by coming into their field. And so if, if you're healthy and you're resonating at this certain frequency and I come into your field, I feel good. Yeah. You know, like the good vibes only. But then also if I have all of this darkness that I'm refusing to look at and maybe some toxicity, then how does that impact when I come into a room? How does that influence the energy Mm. and the frequency? And I think we just, there's so much that we're just now learning that I think within the next five to 10 years, uh, science is going to start to really support what has been said through these ancient religious belief systems all along. They knew something. They were onto something. You know, you you would even look at Tesla. He said, if you Mm -hmm. understand the world, look at everything as energy. It is. You know, and you were talking about the stuff stored in your body. Like if I start to think a certain thought, Mm -hmm. I get a pain right here. Every time that this, so the pain was like, oh, I'm thinking it again. I -hmm. was. And so I like, okay, meditate. Stop. Don't think about that anymore because that becomes like a bad place to start traveling down. And so I have to do like, I I forgive this person. Mm -hmm. It's okay. And the pain will go away. Mm -hmm. But anytime I start thinking about this resentment and this stuff, the pain would start to come slowly start building and it's built before. And I've noticed like if I let it go on check for like a week, it start getting tight with my whole back Yeah, and it's built. And I'm like, what am I doing to myself? I, th- I don't think that we realize, especially if we're not taking the time to be still and tune in, how much we carry in our physical form at the end of the day from the stress, from the, the anxiety or the tension. And when we start to get more in tune with our bodies, then we have um, like a navigation system. Like you've, mm. you've kind of noticed, you know, like, okay, when I heard here, maybe that means that I need to express some forgiveness for someone or when I have, I mean, there's a reason why our culture says it makes me sick to my stomach, you know, um, it's because our bodies naturally have learned how to have a reaction and response because they're teaching us something. There's such wisdom in our bodies that if we learn to listen to it, we can save ourselves so much time and pain, but if we don't, what's the outcome? You're seeing it. People are getting sick. People are having heart attacks and anxiety. And the news will just say, we don't know why it's happening. I mean, I think there are a lot of factors, but I think you can't deny that that we internalize emotions and those emotions create a response. You know, the whole fight or flight response, our brains evolved that response so we'd survive. But our culture, we like we haven't evolved to meet up to the shift of what's fight or flight response worthy anymore. Now yeah, it's it could that, be an email. Exactly. Or that uncomfortable talk with your boss that could be the lion that's chasing you but it's creating the same biochemical response 
Yeah. And then you're locked down and you're terrified because, you know, you could run away from a tiger. You could run away. But uh, email, it just that's bad can lurk in your mind and go to your dreams and continue to haunt you unless you deal with it. And that's what I was going to say. What do we do? Do we do we choose to tune in and deal with it or do we just deny it and say, oh, that's nothing? You know, because we feel like it should be nothing. Or do we acknowledge that there's a wisdom in our body and our, our nervous system and, and our hormones and we look at it and we realize maybe there's something I can do about this. You know, maybe I need to take some time and do some deep breathing. Maybe I need to offer some forgiveness. Maybe I need to extend some gratitude. Maybe I'm harboring a lot of toxic beliefs that I need to address. Yeah, we're going to have to r- wrap it up here. So, um, so the, slow down. Get rid of all the noise, listen to yourself, or let the thoughts come up. Let whatever rise up, rise up, right? Yeah. Going to be uncomfortable. I would say release judgment. Really extend a healthy masculine and a healthy feminine openness to whatever arises without judgment. And instead, ask the question, what is this trying to show me? What is this trying to teach me? Why is this here? What does healthy look like that maybe I'm not seeing? And prime yourself to see the answers that you're looking for. And you say prime, maybe even prepare for it might be uncomfortable. <laughs> Growth is uncomfortable. Do you want to grow? So that, so that's what it comes down to, right? Yeah. It's like, do you want this? And it's crazy because people can say no. Sure. But you know what? Not growing is uncomfortable too. Ignorance is uncomfortable. So either way... You're going to have to deal with some kind of discomfort. It's coming for you. Are you on the path of growth or are you in the path of refusal to grow in ignorance? Either way, you're going to be miserable. The only thing is, is if you choose growth, eventually there's less discomfort as you go down that path. And there's more capacity to extend love to the world and gratitude and to live in a healthier place. If you just deny it, you get to stay in the discomfort and your toxicity. You know, I I started this podcast because you know, I've been on a journey and I knew there was other people out there that been on similar journeys like you, you know, run into you. And, um, this has helped me process a lot Mm. and it's helped me to grow. And I feel pretty good. It feels great, right? The past two (laughs) to three years, you know, even though like, cause it was a pretty heavy weight that hit me. I lost everything, company, family, house, car. Like I was left with nothing but a skateboard and my mentor, but it's like, yeah, I feel good consistently. It's been, it's hard. Like, I'm not going to lie to anyone. Like, growing and dealing and facing the darkness and going through the healing journey, it hurts. Yeah. But you know what? The hurting eventually stops and then the healing begins. And then it feels like, like, liberating over and over <laughs> again. Like, sometimes I, I get too good to where I get nervous. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, wait, wait, this is too good. Foreboding joy is what Brene Brown would call that. Oh, okay. Cause yeah. it's like, wait, something has to happen. Yeah. You know, and then like the self saboteur will come in or whatever, but it's like, well, something has to happen, but it's going, but if I just sit like, oh. And eventually you start to realize that what's supposed to happen is harmony. Yeah. And then a good day leads to another good day and mm-hmm. a good, and there's some bads, there's the waves, but then I handle it totally different now when the, mm-hmm. when it dips down, it's like I have a whole different process of how like, okay, I know it's going to come up, come up. Ah, we're here again. All right. But you never have room for that good or for that harmony. If you aren't willing to let go. Gotta let go. Gotta let go of the good, but not great. You gotta let go of the bad. 
because the only way that you can have more goodness come into your life is releasing what is no longer in alignment with who you truly are. And that can be a hard journey, but it feels so good when you embrace it. I think that's a perfect place to end. Thank you very much for coming Thank on. You. It was great to have you, you officially. <laughs> Justin was way too talkative. <laughs> My bad. Yeah, it's, it's way too Sorry, much. Guys. Yeah. But um, thank you guys for listening again. And um, I, we're going to do everything, the commercials afterwards, right? Justin says yes. All right. Thank you guys. And may God bless you on your journey. Goodbye. Goodbye.